Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition, where we keep you up to date with everything going on in the Cold Fusion community. We'll share the latest news on events, releases to engines, frameworks, libraries, and tools, as well as spotlighting quality content from the community. Welcome back to another episode of the Modernizer Die Podcast. And I've got the wrong thing up. Whoops. Aha, <laughs> uh-huh, and the wrong date, too. Man, this is a good one today. Shh, nobody see this. I know what date it is. It's that one day after the other day that we did that thing. Don't you remember? I do remember sometimes, <laughs> but not today. You know, I use the phrase the other day to refer to anything like yesterday to maybe like three years back. It's just it's all the other day. Yep, apparently we need more waffle in our uh, in our podcast, so we're gonna waffle it <laughs> up today. This can be I a did get a jug of our episode. <laughs> yeah, I did get a jug of Vermont maple syrup for Christmas, so you bring the waffles, I'll bring the syrup, Gavin. Sounds good. <laughs> so I am Gavin Picking, a software consultant for Auto Solutions, and you are. I'm Brad Wood. Um, apparently the the show notes say I'm the lead architect for Ortis, so we'll go with that. Sounds good. We, we so. roll a dice every day, and just it's like the job description dice. You know, some days Gavin's the janitor, some day I'm the accountant. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah, as long as Brad's not the designer, we'll be safe. <laughs> hey, man, my mad uh, paint, uh, Microsoft paintbrush skills. You'll be sorry. Yeah, well, thanks for joining us again on the CFML News Edition of the Modernizer Die podcast. So we'll try and give you some news and let you know what's going on out there and uh, hopefully keep you guys up to date so you guys can stay modern because, yeah, we don't want to die or anything. So uh, nice. John says the day is six months till flag day. Oh, well, no, five months. Do I hear four? <laughs> Too funny. Okay, well, let's jump into this news. So, uh, Ricky, I keep saying Ricky Vida instead of Vicky. I'm going to say Ricky Gervais. I'm like, <laughs> I know that was a great speech, but I didn't think that's what we were covering today. No, Vicky, sorry. I always I see both her names and I always mix them up. So, I'm having a bit of, bit of a day today. Maybe so. I should do the podcast today, Gavin. Yeah. You, could, you provide the color. <laughs> I'll keep us on track, which is going to be weird. Yeah, so Vicky Ryder's had a small vacation, so um, the CF Summit videos have taken a slight slowdown. <laughs> so right now there are about 16 videos up there, but apparently she's back from her vacation and she's got lots more to post. So uh, She we thinks she gets more. vacation, huh? Yeah, apparently. We'll, we'll allow it. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> on the playlist there's 16 videos so far and plenty more coming, so... Uh, if you missed out on CF Summit in Las Vegas, uh, definitely check them out. There are some great videos. And if you did go, you can see all the ones you missed because there were, you know, more than more than one track. So some some good content out there. Next uh, we have on the list is the Rack Sheaf is doing a, a webinar, and that's on Thursday, the January the 16th. So I got the day right this time. So two days away. So if you want to register for that, uh, you can do so. Uh, Brad, I'll post the the link in the the notes. And oh, I will. We have, oh, you will. Okay, I will. Jeez, then. I better get off Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's a really long URL. So, uh, in case you want to type it out, you can do cfwebinar-cf2020.meetus.adobeevents.com. So a long one. It'll be in the show notes though. But uh, register for that and find out what Rick Sheaf is. Uh, you know, going to share with us about Call Fusion 2020. So maybe have some more information about what it includes and when it's coming out. But also, um, you know, what they're looking to do as they move forward too. So I'm kind of curious about that. Um, the pre-release program uh, sign-up was a while back. Um, still haven't heard anything about it yet. Have you got any emails yet, Brad? I haven't. I should ask. Yeah, we should probably find out. But um, the pre-release should be available soon for... Uh, if anyone here private. is in the 2020 preview, blink three times in the chat. <laughs> yeah. So uh, hopefully tell us a little more about that. And then, uh, of course, they'll open up the public beta after that. So, And then they'll be doing the full release sometime this year, hopefully. That's Since beta for you non-Kiwis. Yeah. But um, that looks like a Everyone good in the UK is like, we know what he said. He said beta. Well, I don't, what, what's the confusion? <laughs> yeah. It's okay. My wife still doesn't understand me. We've been married 10 years. <laughs> Okay. We can't help you with that on this podcast. That's out of our purview. Yeah, for sure. Um, So another news thing. Tomorrow, um, me and Michael Bourne are going to do a live coding series. We can do some um, webcasting on YouTube. So we should be there um, 7 p.m. 
Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Uh, we're gonna we'll be sharing that. So look out on Twitter. Uh, I am G Pickin on Twitter, and Michael is Michael Born underscore M E on Twitter. So we'll tweet <laughs> when we're going live. So check it out. And we're gonna be working on a, a peer programming um, project to build a Forge Box package for our CFML challenge that we're doing here. So are you guys gonna be watching the chat if people jump on? Can they like haggle you and harass you real time? They can. Yep. That's oh, the plan. See the value so. just just shot up. I yeah. like that. You get hecklers and everything. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of like this. But um, so we're gonna be doing that tomorrow. We're gonna try and do it uh, Wednesdays, um, four p.m. Pacific, seven. So th Eastern. there's no URL here in the show notes. How do they? What's the stream URL gonna be? Um, that's why you have to watch Twitter so we can see when we go live. Oh, so you have no clue and you're making it up as you go. Got it. Well. I'm not sure if we're going to put on Michael's because Michael's done a few live streams before on Twitch and he's moving over to YouTube. So we'll probably put it on his channel. Um, All right. So you just have to yet. look at the Tweety pages at yep. uh, 7 p.m. Eastern thereabouts and look for the link. Yep. And then one, right. once we figure that out, we'll. Uh, now, you guys going to be seat. sitting at some ridiculous little desk with like, you know, <laughs> four green screens behind you and it looks like you're in some like office, but you're really thousands of miles away or no, we're probably going to share the screen and we might have a little faces pop up in the corner, but probably just more code, you know, like let's get into the, the weeds and actually do some programming. So right. we'll use a code box template. We'll use some command box scaffolding to uh, scaffold up a, a challenge, you know, CFC we'll write some tests that you have to get the, the, uh, the package to, to pass basically to pass that coding challenge. Ooh. And then, uh, Are you, will you write the test first? Well, yes, because your challenge <laughs> is to make it work. So we'll write the test first. <laughs> you have to write the test first. So, but yeah, we'll write, we'll try and do it TDD style with some, uh, some nice BDD now, style. I'm a big fan of bug driven development. You find a bug and you fix it. It's just really cutting edge. Yep. That's usually, <laughs> usually how I work. <laughs> okay. So. That's pretty much our news. It's been a quiet week this week, um, but it's been. There's been. Yeah, um, need to get out and ruffle some feathers. Give us some news for next week. Yeah, there's been a lot of content though. We'll get to that soon. But <clears throat> excuse me, conferences though. Um, big deadline tomorrow is the into the box call for speakers is uh, closing. So we need your need your sessions, right? We don't want Brad speaking all day because he will. I'll do it if I need to, <laughs> but I don't want to. This is for your. This is for your sake. Yep, so uh, the call for papers, uh, let's see, it closes tomorrow at midnight, so papercall.io slash ITB2020. Um, get in there, um, submit it. Um, we need those because we, we want to build the schedule. We want to release that schedule to you so you guys can um, you know, see who's going to be speaking and buy your tickets. You can buy your tickets right now, though, and if you do, you'll get a super early bird um, special price with $200 off the original price. So if you buy them now without knowing what the workshops will be or who's speaking, uh, you get an extra early bird special and you get saved $200. So you can register now if you go to intothebox.org. You can do that and have some faith that this this will be one of the best ones we've done because I think this is the fifth one in Houston and seventh overall. Yeah, we were trying to figure out how many years it had been uh, the other day, and it gets confusing since we had started it. It's just kind of like a pre-conference conference, and then it kind of grew, and then it finally broke off into Houston, and yeah. I lose track. Yep. So I don't even know how old my kids are sometimes. So asking me, <laughs> this is like, whoa, man. Yep. And so in the show notes, we're also sharing a few other conferences. So we have details on DevNexus, ViewConf, mm -hmm. and DockerCon, and a link to uh, Conf.Tech, which gives you a bunch of cool conferences all over the the world actually right you can has anybody your... worked yet on getting cold fusion conference added to this thing i'm not sure to be honest talked about it a couple weeks ago comps.tech because i mean they have uh language specific conferences like php closure python css someone needs to take up the mantle and, and bug these people and be like hey we got cold fusion conferences you fools get them added yep for sure you know, I'm looking, that'd be good nothing, to have uh, so nothing cfml up there yet I mean, if CSS is a language, then CFML needs to be there. <laughs> oh, we're throwing shade early, people. Yeah. Okay. Um, so let's yeah. get into the blogs, tweets, and videos of the week. So uh, no surprise, Ben Nadell has a few here. <laughs> so um, At a conference. There's a form on their site to add a conference. All right. Yeah. Here's the add a conference form in the chat. Go. That adds a conference, but does it add the, 
the category probably not oh it creates a pull request on github of course that's cool. they manage their list of conferences in the github repo and they use a pull request flow so before you before you fill that out you should probably go look at the open pull request on the github repo see if someone's already added the confusion ones and then the, they confirm it by merging it that's kind of nice i've seen several sites that use just a public github repo to to track community input that's kind of interesting yeah i, I like uh, i like that i know that lanyard used to keep track of uh conferences and who spoke at them and the sessions and everything else so i was kind of curious like i wonder if um they're still doing that and if we're actually putting all of our uh you know talks and everything up there or not we probably should be good question um, i mean well you were talking about ben the before i interrupted you i wasn't done with that last point yet <laughs> <laughs> no problem so yeah so ben Adele had a blog Sorry, post ben. Um, talking about a strange MongoDB error when incrementing a document property in Lucy. So you ran into this interesting error where if you use um, like a counter plus plus or a counter equals, uh, you know, or equals plus the value, um, that it was basically throwing a MongoDB error. So if you set something as, you know, counter equals counter plus one, it would work. But if you said counter plus plus, it wouldn't work if you did counter so, plus equals counter. So it looks like it wasn't really just a, a number. It was an instance of some couch base class under the covers that Lucy wasn't handling properly. Yeah. Well, that was interesting because I think uh, when I read the blog post, it was talking about it, it just being the way that it worked. It wasn't necessarily a bug in Lucy per se. I guess it was, yeah, it might've been something under the covers that was doing it. So um, see, I, I think Ben is, is, is too slow to call things bugs. And I only say that because one of his other blog posts is last week. Um, he was like, I don't think it's a bug. And I commented, I'm like, oh, no, it's totally a bug. I hate that behavior. It's completely a bug. Uh, we're probably going to talk about that one in a minute then. <laughs> Maybe. So, so, yeah. But it was interesting. So if you guys are using MongoDB and get some weird errors when incrementing, uh, you know, he worked through this and he shared well, a so workaround. I, I'm but... reading the post now because I, I saw this one come across the Tweety pages, but I didn't read it yet. Did he put in a ticket for it? I don't remember. Because I ran into a, a, I'll say similar, Lucy bug um, the other day where I was dealing with Java objects that came back from a Java library that looked like arrays, but I tried to do array things with them and Lucy just fell on its face. Um, and so I put in a ticket, you know, I, I but, uh, I could have said, well, I guess I'm just using it wrong. But I was like, now Lucy should do a better job. So I put in a ticket and Misha fixed it yesterday. And I mean, that was like a like a one week turnaround or less. Um, that's cool. Because I so, know I mean, that that's actually another blog post we're going to talk about later is the array one that he ran into. And Adobe CF does the same thing. Interesting. Yeah, I don't even know if I saw that one. I'm behind on Ben's blog. Yeah, but the point is, when it, when it comes to the language not properly casting an underlying Java object that you think should have been castable to that type. A lot of, um, cause you know, deep inside of Lucy, there's these giant if statements that says like, here's an incoming object. Can this be treated as an array? And thus can I do a for in loop over it? You know, and Lucy has a big list of like, okay, here's all the interfaces in Java that I can consider an array and I can properly cast to one. And in, in my set, in my instance, uh, the, the set or implement or set, interface i can't talk in java just simply wasn't listed inside of lucy's source code is yeah this can totally be cast to an array and here's how you do it um because you know it was like a one-line fix for me should to fix it so that's why i'm reading through this thinking like this may just be something that lucy needs to account for an additional data type that it can you know use plus plus with but... yeah maybe so if you're listening ben maybe you can uh add a little more and go submit a ticket there so um We'll get to that array one in a minute here because I know it's further down the list. But uh, Pete Freitag also had a blog post about listing logical names from SQL Server backup files. So we're restoring a SQL Server database from the back file. You need to know what the logical names of storage files are to restore them. But you know it's not easy to figure that out sometimes. So uh, he shows you how to use SQL to do it, and even has a Docker command if you're running inside a Docker like he was. You got to just basically run the Docker command to, to execute that uh, the SQL inside of it, and that way you can get the file names because I know that's one of the biggest pains in the butts trying to restore something is you got to get the file names right and everything. So hmm, yeah, I like that. Yep. I like Pete's. They're just quick and to the point, but they're really useful. You know, they're obviously things he's run into. He's like, man, I got to remember this later. Let me write it down so everybody can see. Those are the yeah, good ones. Good 
And this weird guy, Gavin Pickin, posted a blog mm. last week on the Order site. 30 plus VS Code hints, tips, and tricks of the week from 2019 Modernizer Die CFML News podcast. So that's a mouthful. But uh, yeah, so what I did is I compiled all of our VS Code hints and tips and tricks from last year's episodes. I think there was 34 from 2019. And so I put them all on a blog post. So instead of having to go listen to every podcast, uh, you know, podcast or go back to every week and just look at one place and have them. So later this week, I'm going to do all the Forgebox modules that we talked about last year as well. So that would be in one big blog post as well. So uh, that's on the autosolutions.com blog. Uh, it's a pretty cool blog post. Hopefully you guys get a lot out of it. And quite a few people saw that. Uh, I posted on Facebook and, and Slack and everything. So everybody else was giving their recommendations, which is cool because we can't come up with all the recommendations. So keep sending those in and we'll add them to the list and review them and, you know, put out the best ones to share with you guys. So that's kind of the, the point with this is to to go through it. And, oh, John's saying uh, it needs categories. <laughs> <laughs> you're right it probably does need categories john we should probably do like javascript related stuff cfml related stuff maybe docker or, or just productivity so maybe we'll take that list and, and categorize them some way and uh, do something with that but for now they're in a blog post so enjoy um so ben Adele had another blog post using a closure to encapsulate depth first tree traversal and lucy cfml uh, he did mention how lately he's done a, a whole bunch of different uh, blog posts looking at while loops to recursively iterate over a tree structure. And so this one he's doing with a closure. So if you guys are following along that little series that he's done, this is a you know a great addition to that. So you can look at it using a consumable uh, closure callback in Lucy. So check that one out. I'm still I'm still two items back. I just commented on Ben's blog. I'm like, put in a ticket, man. I bet they can fix that. Yeah. <coughs> I just I just noticed that the data type Lucy was unsuccessful in converting it to was a collection, and that's the exact same error I was getting on the ticket I put in last week. The uh, set wasn't convertible to a collection. Gotcha. Sorry. Okay, I'm I'm done geeking out. I'm back to the show. Where are we at? <laughs> so now we're up to a, a tweet storm that uh, James Moberg started last week. <laughs> oh yeah, tweet well, storm. Well, mm, they're all stuff. separate, so I'm not sure if you can really call it a storm, but it's a lot of it's, a lot of stuff. It's going like on. little pop up storms. <laughs> yep. So uh, James had a few different things he was talking about. So the first one, he was asking if any ColdFusion developers are using the jQuery form builder plugin because. Um, I guess they have a form builder online. Uh, they have an Angular version too. It's a client side builder. You know, you can you can do form structure and data, and then it saves it in a JSON format. And he's been having to add some CFML uh, tweaks to work around those CF plus JSON issues and everything. So he was wondering who else is working on it. Maybe they can sort of work together. Uh, he was also in you know in connection with that. He was also talking about. Um, ColdFusion has a serialized JSON use custom serializer parameter, but uh, he considered using it, but he says the framework only supports one custom serializer. Uh, if he wants to use two, you can't use it. So he talked about, guess who? Ben Adele, uh has a JSON utility CFC um, with a UDF. Did, did James simplify. say what version of ColdFusion he's on? No, I don't think he did. Um, I thought I chimed in that conversation and I'm failing to... Uh... To find my reply right off. Um, yeah, I, I did see something. Um, yeah, that from you as well. The right, note, the right link in the show notes. Um, oh, I see, because that's the one on the form builder plugin. Uh, the the tweet that James has sent out talking about does anybody use the um, the custom serializer? Um, I thought I'd replied to that. I don't know, maybe I didn't hit send. I replied to a lot of things um, and said, uh, "No, did. I'd never used it." But I thought it would, would pretty much become moot. Um, as of ColdFusion 2018, when they finally fixed the, the JSON serialization, um, for the most part, most of the issues that Adobe ColdFusion always had with JSON serialization that Lucy never had was based on the fact that everything is always stored as strings in the back end. So numbers stored as strings, dates stored as strings, strings stored as strings, everything stored as strings. Um, and so whenever you made JSON, it was always a matter of uh, of cold fusion sort of like guessing like oh geez what was this originally i don't know was this a number i don't know it looks like a number let's make it a number this time right um whereas lucy when you declare a number in your code it's like that's a number and behind the scenes in java it's actually a java link double 
So when it comes time to create JSON out of it, Lucy doesn't have to guess. It's like, look, this is a number. I know because of this underlying Java data type that I've preserved, I will now keep it a number. Or a Boolean was the other big one. Um, I had a big blog post about that. But in, in Adobe Cold Fusion 2018, they reworked all of that, which I was super pleased with. Um, and all the JSON serialization bugs that it existed all cleared up from what I could see. Um, so that's why, like, the first question I could think of when he was like, you know, stuff isn't serialized into JSON properly, what's an alternative serializer? Or the whole, because the whole custom serializer stuff, in my opinion, was a really hacky workaround. Yeah, you said that, it was the wrong solution to the wrong problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I said. It was the wrong solution to the wrong problem. Because the whole problem was ColdFusion was throwing away information about what data types variables, what the data type was of a variable, so it would have to guess later on. And so they, their workaround was to kind of like duct tape this, like, well, why don't you tell us how to serialize it? I'm like, no, I don't want to tell you how to serialize it. How about when I say here's a Boolean, you store it as a Boolean. So later <laughs> on, when I say make it into JSON, you know exactly what to do with it, uh, which is what they did in 2018 to their credit. Um, and so I was like, I wonder if he's, if he's not on the latest version of ColdFusion, because just upgrading to 2018 gives you a whole new world of JSON serialization. Um, but yes. <laughs> and Pete said, Yes, Mr. No and Mrs. Yes were happy to see that fixed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. True true and false and yes and no would get confused with Booleans. That's messy stuff. Yeah, no, I I have that for sure. Uh, I actually have an old site running on a whatever, and yeah, Mr. No was, yeah, Mr. False. And everybody, <laughs> this client called me up like, what's going on? I'm like, the data imported correctly. It's just outputting it. <laughs> And Jason incorrectly. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Mr. False. Yeah. I know. There's a doctor called Mr. False in our uh, medical system, apparently. <laughs> yeah. It's too funny. Thanks for sharing that one, Pete. That made, yeah, that made me laugh. And then uh, also, James got on uh, my little task last week of asking um, Code Wars to add CFML. So he tweeted about that, but that also got him thinking. Um, he actually sent a message out to Hey Practical, the Practical Dev. He said, I intend to post a lot of ColdFusion articles on your platform. CFML has been around since 95. He's been using it since 97. He noticed that using a Java tag resulted in an icon added to the share image. Could ColdFusion and CFML receive the same treatment? So if you guys can go click on that one and retweet it and like it, maybe uh, the Practical Dev may pay attention. For those of you that don't know, that's dev.2. It's a big... Uh, community for developers and it's kind of like the medium for developers about so much spammy content uh, and spammy pop-ups so so check that one out and he also had a, a udf that he uh, was tweeting about too he needed to whitelist many ipv4s and ipv6 cidrs from a cdn waf provider using ColdFusion. so he is uh, is ip in range was UDF? that a dare to see how many acronyms you could fit in one tweet I think because of the um, space. Yeah, he just wanted to make it hard for me to read, I think, too. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, so he has a is IP in range UDF that was inspired from existing, for existing um, CFML solutions. Uh, he says it supports regex, too. So pretty interesting. So if you guys are doing IP ranges or whatever, he's got a nice little UDF that he made for that. So Nice. Yeah. Oh, Man, what's the link? Which one is it? So, man, that one of Ben's around the array is still down the list. So the next one is another Ben Adele post, but it's different. So this was kind of interesting. So this was repositories and data access layers can have as many methods as you find helpful. So Ben was talking about how originally when he started using DALs or data access layers, he basically tried to have a real specific strict list of functions that they had you know and so it was you know get by id get by filter list by id uh, list by filters you know real like six or eight different functions and that's all he ever had and so he got to the point where later on he figured out well this is kind of painful if i'm wanting to see if something exists i have to use one of these functions which gives you know does all this work transfers it across the network and you know it's a lot of bloat for a simple thing so he realized that as long as the abstraction allows him to do what he wants to do in other words abstract away the the underlying data access but have a nice useful uh you know interface to that data then it still can work as a data access layer the way he Mm. thought so he has a nice monty python reference in here search the holy grail 
Yeah. <laughs> he says uh, you can even have methods like get airspeed velocity of an unladen African swallow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's very specific. So you don't have to say African or European. <laughs> yep. So, but yeah, so it's an interesting read. Um, I so basically he's saying it's, it's, it's okay to create a larger number of very specific methods that do precisely what you need in each case, as opposed to shoehorning everything into a smaller number of very generic methods. It sounds like, yeah, as long as they still abstract and, you know, maintain that sort of that pattern. So, I mean, sometimes, yeah, sometimes you need to go a little, if you deal with unladen African swallows a lot, there's no way around it. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I like having a consistent, you know, way to get to my data, but he basically added a get it, you know, an exists function. And I like that. I mean, it makes a lot more sense to do an exists on a single row return a Boolean. Don't have to return data. Um, but it was kind of nice, you know, we've had these conversations sometimes with clients about what's the, the best way to name your functions in DEOs or in services. And you got the whole, you know, ORM does it this way. And then and Eric's like, well, Quick does it this way. And then there's these <laughs> names and I want everything to be the same, but <laughs> they're not. And so, you know, I like the idea of having, a, you know, a consistency between them all. Um, so, so yeah, but it was interesting. I, I liked it. And like, you know, Ben says, you know, he's evolved over time. Things change and whatever. And so I just like getting into the, the mind of Ben, and, you know, see, see what he's scary place to be. Yeah. I'm, I'm Googling now the difference between service layer and a data access layer. I think data access layer is basically that it'll actually run the queries and everything with the service will ask something else to do it. So if you're if you're using some of my services, just run queries if they're super simple. Maybe yeah. I've been writing data access layers this whole time. Maybe, maybe. See with ORM and it's quick, you know, you're you don't have to get into the nitty gritty <clears throat> of it. The idea is is that the data access layer can actually communicate directly with it. You should be able to switch them out, which no one ever does, except that rare occasion where uh, Eric switched from Oracle to something else. Um, but yeah, the the idea is that the data access layer should care about what type of, you know, setup it is um, and everything else calling it shouldn't care. You know, abstract away the actual implementation details. And if you want to switch yeah, but to Redis. You could have you said could. that sentence and you could have switched, you could have just replaced data apps access object DAO. Yeah. And what would have been the difference in your sentence? Well, the layer is my a collection problem with of developers objects. is they come up with another, they take a concept and they change like one word of a definition. And like, now I have a new acronym for this totally new concept that I've created. And I'm yeah. always like, well, what's the difference? Well, I think the data access layer is a collection of data access objects. <laughs> but isn't that a service? <laughs> mm. Eric says, maybe it doesn't matter, which I think is probably the real answer. Yeah. I, li- I like there to be exact definitions of things. I don't like these vague definitions. So then I'm like, oh, I need to know the difference. And then I read and I'm like, but that sounds like everything else I already use. Yeah. All right. I just put up a large post that I'm going to have to scroll through later. So I can actually focus on the podcast. Yep. Everyone, that this is everyone's homework for next week. Figure out whether you're using a service layer or an access object or an access layer or a gateway because maybe you're really old school. <laughs> and then decide if you care. Well, John said, what's easy to code and what's easy to test? And I like the fact if you have uh, something in, in a DAO outside of the service, then you can mock the DAO piece easily. So that's why I like to separate the queries from the actual service. You know, the service has the business logic and the DEO or the DAL or whatever you want to call it today. Uh, that would be basically um, <laughs> Brad. <laughs> no. Pete just he invented just... <laughs> the DASL, the data access service layer. <laughs> but yeah. I, I, I think I think John has a very good point. What's easier to code, what's easier to test? Because really at the end of the day, you're, you know, your boss doesn't... Uh, doesn't pay you to come up with the coolest sounding acronyms to describe your code. They pay you to have manageable, testable code that does what it's supposed to do, even though we like to geek out. The yeah. better question yet is how did the Starbucks just appear in my hand? The world <laughs> may never know. <laughs> I know. Sneaky, sneaky. I like to thank all the little people in my life, including my wife. You yeah. just handed it to me. <laughs> the magic of technology. Okay, good stuff. Well, I mean, Ben's always good for these kind of like, uh, deep conversations, existential conversations on programming. Yeah. What is the difference? In fact, maybe Ben, I smell a blog post coming. What's the difference between just going to throw that out there. Yep. 
So Pete had another blog post. Uh, he solved uh, Git clone large repo download errors. Um, so he was attempting to clone a large Git repo over HTTPS hosted on an on-premise GitLab instance, and he kept getting this error. And so transfer sh- closed with outstanding read data remaining. That's kind of like if the mailman comes to your house and they're like, well, this is part of your mail. I don't know. There's more in my truck, but. <laughs> so it looks like he just switched from HTTP to SSH and that did the trick. So I guess there was, huh. I guess there was some web server timeouts that were kicking in and giving them some grief. So SSH. The on-premise and... lab. Well, it's possible there was, you know, an internet or something sitting in front of it that had different, uh, different timeouts for HTTP and HTTPS. It's possible. It sounds like that that fix may be something very unique to that setup, but that's interesting. Yep, good to know. I mean, yeah. I like HTTPS because it's simple, but SSH seems to give me less headaches apart from the headaches. No, I'm just going to go back to storing all my code in a zip file, Gavin. Yep. I should be good. careful. We have clients who do that. <laughs> I don't want to make fun of them. It works for them, man. It's, it's easy and it's testable for them. Yep. <laughs> So finally, Ben Adele has a blog post about passing oh, is a rage. just going to call this the Ben Adele show. You know, here we thought we thought Matt Gifford was making a comeback. We can't shut this Ben Adele guy up. It's just on and on with good content, <laughs> man. Yep. So this he was talking about the is array decision function does not ensure member methods and Lucy exist. Oh uh, so, yeah, that's the one I was I was like, dude, it's totally a bug. Yep. Because it is array, but it's not cast to an array. So he and talked about trusted versus untrusted versions of stuff, like like promises. He was bringing up a Bluebird promise versus a normal promise, and a Bluebird promise is a different Bluebird. public API. To Where does it. Ben get this stuff from? A he Bluebird lives, promise. Well, swallows, oh. Bluebirds, maybe he's got a theme going. <laughs> <laughs> what is the SP velocity of a Bluebird promise? No, but I guess he's dealing with promises in Angular and JS and everything, so... But anyway, the same thing Asian applies. Asian or Polynesian? I don't know. Ah! <laughs> Just because uh, you know an array is an array doesn't mean it's a, uh, you know. Oh, it looks like a node library. Yeah. NPM install Bluebird. Yep. You know but, those JavaScript people? They just flip the dictionary and they look for a noun and they throw JS on the end. They're like, boom, Bluebird JS. That's a library now. Yeah. But anyway, so he was talking about basically, like you said it. It's an array in some contexts. is an array, but uh, the member functions don't exist because it wasn't cast for the same thing. So like a byte array is an array, <laughs> but it's not necessarily something that you can do all the array member yeah. functions on. And that's so, about, kinda, I don't know if Achilles heel is the right phrase, but that's sort of been the bane of member functions in CFML is you had this loosely, loosely typed language, um, and we don't really use interfaces at the language level, which would be really nice if we did. Um, you know, she would get things in and you, you know, you can tell a function, I want this parameter to be an array and CFML just says, okay, is the incoming thing something that I can cast to an array? And if so, sure, let it on through, but it doesn't actually convert it. Right. Um, but member functions only exist specifically on actual, like real life CFML arrays, like the behind the scenes, the Java object is an actual CFML array, which is really confusing and annoying since you can trust. Uh, you can you can pass a bevy of array-like objects into the the, the headless built-in functions like array slice. In this example, you know mm-hmm. you can say array slice and just pass in some object that can be vaguely converted to an array. Totally works. But you do uh, you know untrusted array dot array slice, and if it's not specifically a CFML array created in ColdFusion, some Java array list that was came back out of a library looks smells talks you know, quacks like an array and then your code blows up and like, what the crap? And you're like, Oh, well that wasn't a real array. And in JavaScript, you know, we have the the loosely typed nature, but in JavaScript, there's not this like huge JDK of like a billion classes based on interfaces and like a zillion, you know, subclasses that all like can be treated as, you know, maps and arrays and sets In JavaScript, you get something that's basically an object or it's an array or it's a function. Right. Um, But you know, it's so much simpler in JavaScript. You can kind of get away with it. You know, JavaScript libraries don't like create their own custom classes that extend other things. Because of course it doesn't really even have classical inheritance. Um, but it's such a pain. And this is the one that Ben had said, you know, uh, this isn't a bug in, in, in CF and Lucy. It was a bug in the way I was thinking. And I was like, nope, nope, it's a crap implementation. Because <laughs> um, I have argued, like I told him in my comment, I've argued with the Adobe engineers and Lucy engineers for countless hours about this. 
Um, and, you know, this can be the show where I list all the good things about Adobe Cold Fusion. I mentioned how Adobe Cold Fusion in 2018 fixed a bunch of the JSON problems. Another thing um, that Adobe Cold Fusion did in version 2018 that is kicking Lucy's butt is they fixed like half of these sort of member function things, but specifically the ones related to string member functions. Um, mm. You still get issues with struct and, and well, query doesn't really apply, but struct and array member functions, you still get a lot of this nonsense of like, oh, that's a hash map, it's not a real struct. But with strings now, in Adobe Cold Fusion 2018, you don't have a problem anymore when you have a, a variable that's not really, it's actually a Boolean. It's the Boolean true, and you try to do dot len on the end of it, do a string member function. Uh, that in numbers, Adobe Cold Fusion now will now properly make any string member function work on numbers and Booleans, which is like, thank you. And Lucy hmm. still hasn't yet to do it. But I've pointed out of like, hey, you guys have to do it now because it's a freaking incompatibility. You have to match <laughs> Adobe's implementation. So... Huge kudos to the Adobe engineers for being the first people to finally fix that. But I still think we need to find ways so that anything that can be cast to an array can have the array member functions on it, just because I think that's what makes sense. But yeah, I mean, I was reading this totally feeling Ben's pain. Um, I mean, I, I literally got bit with this in Lucy this week. I mean, all the time I had an array of incoming strings or so I thought, and I tried to loop over them and do some string manipulation. It blows up because like the 50th one was a Boolean. It was the, it was true. And it wasn't a real string. And I was like, oh, geez, Lucy, come on. It's a string, man. You can treat it as a string, you know, but that's like, uh, sorry. It gets me so angry. Uh, but yeah, so reading this, I was like, no, Ben, you you weren't wrong, Ben. Yeah, because you both not you. wrong, right? It's the language. This is poor language design. I sound like, like Sean Corfield when I say that. Bad language design. He should have trademarked that. But I wouldn't be able to say it without paying him royalties. Yeah. I feel so. you, Ben. The, the struggle and pain is real. Uh, we did talk about some some clever little workarounds, which he had one in his in his blog post uh, using a race slice. Um, I like to take, uh, which this only works in Lucy, back to things that don't work in Adobe Cold Fusion. Now, you can just take like an empty struct literal, open, close, curlies, dot, append, and you can just take like a Java hash map and have it appended into the original CFML struct. And then that sort of converts it, if you will, to a CFML struct. It only does it one level deep, but... Um, there's some things you can do to to make the variables uh, guaranteed to be a string or an array or struct, but yeah, it's definitely a frustrating aspect of a language because when you, when you're when you're just slamming code into your editor and all of a sudden it blows up and you're like, what? You know, that totally should have worked. Oh, that's right, it's not really an array. That kind of stuff sucks. Yeah, it's like in JavaScript, we have to put an empty string on the front of a number to make it into a string so you can concatenate it. Yeah. John Farrar, if CF script 2.0 was fixing all the crap like that, I would absolutely love it. Um, I've talked about on Twitter that they threw out the whole ES6 thing. I think that's a, that's a marketing nonsense. I don't think there's any value in, in having strict compatibility with ES6 or any of that. I don't think it, I think zero people will come to the language because of that, but making crap like member functions just always work on things that can be cast to arrays like the headless functions work. Yeah. That is perfect script it doesn't need to be 2.0 right it just needs to be 1.0 working like you expect it to yeah, that's the one, whole thing 1.1 1. 1. they don't 1. need to 1. make a new version <laughs> a breaking compatible version they don't need to look at es6 features unless they actually make sense in the language they need to take this little annoying edge cases that just don't do what they should have done in the first place that yep. should be cf script 2.0 all right end of rant okay. now get off my soapbox <laughs> <laughs> so next, <laughs> a few weeks back, we talked about the Open Cage uh, API. Um, there's a cool little module that um, that was added, and of course, I've forgotten who added the module. But um, the OpenCageData.com actually had a blog post about the ColdFusion SDK and talked about how Simeon E. Um, oh, I recognize that username. Um, crap, who is that? Yep. Oh, and so the cool thing about that was, uh, you know, if you were using I'm not even sure if it's actually the same one. Uh, if if it's built on top of it and they're just slow to blog about it, or not. So, uh, if you guys are using Open Cage Data and you don't want to use the, I think that's the Gary Stanton. Module. It I is Gary Stanton. Okay, well, he's the one that did the added yeah, the module. That's because so. that's his. C well, based on the fact that that's Gary Stanton's CFML Slack username is okay. S I M I A N E. So I'm guessing that's who that is. I knew I recognized cool. it. Cool. Well, then that makes sense then, because Gary's the one that submitted the module. So that's just, it's cool to see someone actually mentioning Cold Fusion on their a bigger, you know, site and saying that the SDK is out there. Because, you know, there's not too many Cold Fusion SDKs out there. So thank you for that, Gary. Um, 
Michael Bourne also had a, a five-minute quick start with CB Elasticsearch. So five minutes, he shows you how to basically have an application using Elasticsearch in Coldbox. He says it was super easy. So uh, nice little blog post on that on the michaelborne.me site. That's nice. So, yep. I'll share that in case anyone wants to check that out. I'm going to interrupt our endless chat about CSCript 2.0. Come on. <laughs> Pasting your relevant links in the chat window. Yep. And then uh, Charlie Earhart also tweeted about preventing spam on ColdFusion and Lucy sites by checking email addresses and or IP addresses for known spammers using a REST or HTTP call to low-cost CleanTalk anti-spam service, cleantalk.org. Mm. Uh, Just uh, 40,000 requests per day in the free tier. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. I'm reading James Moberg's reply. Yeah. So James actually... He had a different service. Yeah. James replied with uh, API utility IO, API so A P I L I T Y I O. Their free tier offers forty K requests per day. And the reason is because nobody can spell the damn name. <laughs> It'd have more users if it was something they could spell. Yep. Um so. yeah, you know, when I first saw this tweet, my first thought was that sounds like something James Moorberg would tweet about. Um exactly. that's pretty cool though. So I'm guessing like somebody uh, I assume it's like a blacklist, basically, right? You know, somebody submits a comment on your mm -hmm. on your blog. And you, you know, check the IP address to see if it's blacklisted. So uh, I'm curious how they build that list. Because um, we've talked about doing similar things, you know, for ColdFusion and helping each other out because we're always messing with blacklists and whitelists. And Well, yeah, I mean, it's like, and I, I have a love-hate relationship with blacklists because there's nothing worse than running a server that somehow gets blacklisted because, you know, there's yeah. a spammer in your IP block that you have no relation to sending spam you know and like an entire range gets blocked and then you can't do crap and then you know these blacklist companies can just be like a black hole you can never get yourself taken off of them i've definitely yeah. been on the wrong side of that but i love the idea i mean we get tons of spam comments on like the ordis blog oh, yeah. i mean probably two or three a day sometimes um uh, and we have a capture right yeah the captures are pretty crap these days they don't really do much but yeah we get a lot of them so i think i might have to i, I think upgrade. those are manually typed like honestly i think there's people that, like sit in a room and they just pull up blogs and they check the capture button and they copy and paste you know links to to online medications or pharmacies or something i probably um, do i mean sometimes manual works right yes yeah, so, i mean so if a human copied and pasted it um <laughs> then the human can click the captcha uh but yeah so i kind of like these sort of uh clever ways to try to track I mean, 40,000 requests is pretty good, too. So, I mean... Oh, yeah, that's a to, lot. We might be able to build a, a pretty nice little content box capture for this, and or not even capture, but just blacklist check. So, I might have to do that at some point, because, yeah, I get a lot of spam from some of my clients that are using content box, and it's aggressive. We'll put it that way. There's a lot of it. So, pretty cool. So, thank you, Charlie, for your cleantalk.org, and then the API-ility io one from james so cool um well next on our list we have our coding challenge of the month so last week we announced this week's coding challenge which is actually a faux pas because it's not really a coding challenge it's a challenge about coding so uh last week we asked you to do three things to uh to get on our drawer um so if you info email info at codewars.com ask them to add cfml cold fusion to the list of languages on their site and cc gavin at autosolutions.com so we knew you did it we also want you to tweet that you love code wars but when will they be adding cfml cold fusion to the list of languages and we have a little tweet in the show notes you can just copy and paste and then uh, also if you retweet other people who are uh, talking about this as well so there was quite a few people that did it um so they're already entered in the drawer for the gift card at the end of the month. So if you guys can help us out with that, we really appreciate it. So email them, CC me, tweet, and then retweet other people tweeting around about cold future uh, and stuff. So let me ask a quick clarifying question on that. Um, in order to be uh, counted in the challenge, do you need to actually tweet it specifically from your account, not just retweet other people's tweets? Yes, tweet it from your account and then retweet other people's. Okay, because I saw, uh, like, I, I retweeted your tweet. I didn't tweet it from my own account, but I also knew that I would I would be ineligible to win. Um, 
but I saw a lot of other people just retweeting stuff and they may have just been retweeting it because, Hey, it may not have been because of the podcast episode. I just wanted to make sure people knew um, that retweeting is great, but also if you want to be counted, send an actual original tweet from your account. So, yep. Yeah, for sure. Great. Thanks for clarifying. But yeah, it was nice. I got these emails. I'm like, Oh, cool. These emails get finally in. So uh, thanks to those who are doing it. Um, yeah. And then, like I said, we're doing the, the live pair programming tomorrow and we'll work on building the little Forgebox module so you can download a, uh, a little app. Um, you know, on the challenges Eric could have created month. like three modules in the time you spent talking about how you're going to create a module. I'm just going to say. Yeah. He probably could... did one during the podcast today. What did you create, Eric? What have you made during the podcast? I could make one. He but sneezes I'm wait. and the module pops out. Yeah. Well, I'm waiting for the live coding to do it so that way everyone can see us do it and they can badmouth us and heckle us and uh, maybe even learn something. <laughs> Who knows? See, that's, that's part of Eric's uh, genius is he does it so fast no one can heckle him because they're like, wait, what? Uh, oh, oh, no, it's published. Too late. <laughs> yep, exactly. We'll have to even... Uh, <clears throat> yeah, so we'll, we'll build a repo. Um Use some command box scaffolding to scaffold out an app. Add test box scaffold a, a you know a model with some appropriate tests. Add some tests, and then we'll have to create the create the package on Forgebox and publish it. So that's probably our goal for tomorrow. And then we'll probably go and add some more stuff because I'd like to have the app have a button that you just say click click a button and it just pops up the little tweet window. It already has a tweet in there for you. See, click a <laughs> so. button. Wait, John's in here about the live thing. We we mentioned it inside oh, John, of our, John, our news John. right after the Rack Sheaf thing. At least you guys are just skipping the news because you want to talk like, like about modules. It's like we talk and nobody listens. It's like my wife talks. And I'm like, what? Oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't paying attention. Yep. So uh, tomorrow at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, we're going to try and uh, live code on YouTube. Uh, we'll throw it out there um on twitter so follow me john on twitter and i'll let you know what url we're using we gotta finalize that me and michael so me and all right michael so we're doing the show again all right from the top boys <laughs> no <clears> let's, <throat> let's jump to the next thing here so let's yep, I get some jobs. Find a job and actually this has been pretty busy so last week there was 20 cold fusion positions listed i'm not sure if all of them were still active or not but this week there's 28 uh, from 22 companies across 17 locations in five countries. So we have a full-time Cold Fusion developer, a senior uh, in Arlington, Virginia. That was posted on the 13th. We have a full-time senior Cold Fusion developer in Washington, D.C., posted on the 10th. A full-time Cold Fusion software engineer in Tampa, Florida, posted on the 10th. Uh, Cold Fusion, a senior Cold Fusion application developer in Washington, D.C., posted on the 9th. And then we have... Um, another one in Arlington posted on the 7th so that might be a duplicate so I'm not sure if these are repeating or not if they're added to different boards the cfmljobs.com does read from multiple locations so maybe that's what happened but there's also two in India as well there's a junior software developer for Cold Fusion in Amidad all you man you got it go go and go. then Hyperdad Hyperdad <laughs> as a senior Cold Fusion developer as well. So it's interesting. Um, I'm looking at the number of these that have the word senior in them out of how many to just list off one, two, three, four, five, six, seven jobs. And four, five of them have the word senior in them. Really? I count six out of the seven. What? Yeah. I just hit control F in the Google doc and type senior and just kind of the number that were highlighted. Okay. Maybe unless I, unless I counted one twice. <laughs> you know what? You're right. No, there was any, there was, you're right. I'm wrong. I should get used to that today. <laughs> I mean, it's a worthless stat. It's just interesting. Um, of course, most Cold Fusion developers, well, most Cold Fusion developers have been around enough to probably call themselves senior. Um, I won't make any guesses as to people's actual um, level of expertise, but it's just kind of interesting that the the need in the market definitely appears to be uh, people people with a, a senior level skill set. Of course, I mean, there's no strict definition of what senior means. It's kind of like they consider you to, you should be vaguely smarter than the other people that come in, I guess. But either way, this is interesting to see. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, though. I have to think about that. Yeah. Is it a good thing or a bad thing that they only want seniors? Yeah. Of course, maybe they maybe it's like bargaining. They figure if they say senior and someone comes in that's like halfway there, they'll be like, all right, well, close enough. <laughs> They're highballing. 
Yeah. <clears throat> cool, cool. Okay, so go a lot of jobs there. Go to getcfmiljobs.com. Um, there were a couple more on Facebook I saw, but I couldn't find them going back because Facebook hides everything later. So sorry, oh, I couldn't share that Facebook. too. Maybe Facebook so. decided it was hate speech and decided you didn't need to see it. Probably didn't mention confusion is hate speech, city. Kevin. Okay, Darn so the Forgebox, they use. Forgebox module of the week this week is one by Matthew Clemente. Uh, I was going looking for some interesting, uh, relatively new packages, but this one's actually from a little while ago. But it's I called. I remember this one. Summarize. Summarize. <laughs> I think it's, it's meant to be summarize, but yeah, missing some letters. Uh, <clears throat> so, I assume it's on purpose. Not going to yeah. hate. So it's a CFML wrapper for the summary, S M M R Y API. Uh, a while ago. So I guess they just drop all the vowels. <laughs> all right, you but, have uh, a link in the show notes. I'm like scrolling through Forgebox trying to find this sucker. Oh, here it is. You have a, a link. link. No, yeah. I, Google didn't link it. Google right. Docs didn't turn it into a link. I blamed them. So it's kind of cool. The API can summarize either web-based content or text via the web and the text methods, respectively. They both functions take hmm. an optional second argument, which contains settings for your summarization. It works Basically, on PDFs. But basically what it does is you give it some content and it uses an algorithm to figure out what it should give you back as a summary. So for like blog posts, if you want an excerpt or like a summary at the top, you could theoretically pass it in. It would give it back to you. Does it pull like an icon, like a a favicon or whatever from the page? I don't know about that. All I know is that there are a bunch of settings in it for what type of things you want. So you can say, hey, I want three sentences with three keywords with a break, with encoding, uh, avoid hey, Matthew, questions. Matthew's in the Slack. We can just ask him. Does this pull icons on I the page? I think it's just text, but it does. So I'm actually curious about this because I was I was having to build that the other day for the Gitbook exporter, where you know if you uh-huh. embed a link to another page, um, we don't pull in any summary stuff. Though I was like, oh, this sounds kind of cool. But we we know we look for a favicon. We look for a, a some a, not param meta html tags we look for like the first image in the page you know i have some you know xpath nonsense that tries to like find you know an icon kind of like what happens in facebook you know you post a link and they, they snag an icon and they yeah. stick it in there um <clears throat> maybe i can i can send you what i had done i see matthew just said no i can send him what we had done to try to pull the favicon that could be a cool little addition just to summarize it and like grab an icon that's either a favicon or something of that nature yeah, but it's kind of cool that you could say avoid anything with quotes, avoid questions or explanations, you know, so it can try and grab a useful bit of summary text. So I thought it was kind of cool, um, you know, something like that in Content Box I wish we did. So if someone doesn't actually put an excerpt, it would calculate one or create one for you. Might be kind of nice because um, sometimes it's hard to think up a summary. Not everyone's first sentence is uh, that good. Um Whoa, it makes up sentences if there aren't any? What kind of sentences does it make? This is a PDF with pictures of a cat. <laughs> well, I want to play with this library now. It's piqued my interest. Yep, for sure. <clears throat> so we had a comp, uh, comment from Julien uh, Ruan. Um, from competition point of view, sure, uh, having seen your developers but it sucks from a talent sourcing view since it's hard to find juniors or college grads to keep the dip. Because you're referring to the, the hiring. Yeah. So that makes it, I mean, it makes a good point. If everyone's looking for seniors, then there's not many junior jobs on the job board. So most people think they shouldn't get into it. Maybe it's older. And I mean, I think that makes sense too, because like you said, it's probably easier and better to train up a, a developer who's modern and to bring them over and they won't have all the baggage of a, a, a senior cold fusion developer. Um, they they used. To it seems like a, like a good works. team should have a couple senior developers, and then you know a handful of junior developers that can you know work on implementing stuff. But I'm I'm curious if the demand for senior developers comes from people's inability just to get developers at all, and so we're just looking for a good one. Yeah, and I'm wondering if they just do it where they might have one good developer and make it instead of having a couple, you know, a small team, they probably have one person that needs to cover everything. So if they're a senior developer, they're more likely to cover more, you know, since they're scaling them down, something like that. But I don't know. It's a good question, I guess. Uh, I know that at Autis, we we hire all sorts of different 
experience levels and we know that we can train them and and you know a lot of the developers lately have been java based ones and when they see cold fusion they usually get excited because it's easier and better (laughs) (laughs) yes it is there you go matthew i I put a a link in there if you have any interest in that code that tries to pull favicons for your links don't show brad so sorry it's probably moderated because you're sharing as yourself so all the links you've been sharing today i don't think they've shown up sorry does it actually not show i don't see it and i'm the and i'm the boss man i thought i'm a moderator now no i don't know i don't see them sorry curse you aqua scum you know i made a joke about facebook blocking stuff for hate speech never mind it was youtube (laughs) <laughs> youtube's the one yeah you're right my my post my comment posted but not like you stupid it doesn't even show up as as needing moderation i know that's that's i was gonna approve this is what happens in tech platforms just never mind yeah skip the politics okay so now <laughs> up to a vs code Kevin's like steer us back into the cold fusion <laughs> chip yeah. lane so a VS code hint tip and trick of the week after submitting uh, that blog post of all those um, items. A lot of people gave us some tints and a few people are kind of dismayed that we hadn't shared the CF Lint one yet. So this week's hint tip and trick of the week is CF Lint. So CF Lint is a linter for CFML and you can find more on the GitHub repo for it, but it's basically the extension integrates CF Lib into VS code. Um, so just like if you've used prettier or JS hint or anything like that, um, it allows you to basically find issues with your code and you can configure it how you needed. I do recommend going to auto solutions, uh, coding standards, GitHub repo, and we'll have the link and I will share the link. So it actually works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can paste it in. It's not going to do any good, but, um, yeah, the coding standards is nice. Uh, there's a, a file on there with a lot of the auto standards, so you can copy that file in and, the cool thing is when you open it up, it'll show you, you know, some recommended uh, suggestions for your code and things that you should fix. Uh, does VAR scoping and stuff like that as well. So it's pretty neat. Um, the one thing about CFLint and the reason we hadn't spotlighted it yet is it's not as fast as um, some of the other tools out there that are running on stuff like <coughs> Node uh, inside of VS Code because CFLint uses, you know, command box and, you know. No, some, it doesn't. Well, no. CF, okay, there's CF, a command. CFLint is just a straight up Java jar that uses some Apache library for parsing uh, Java args. So it's actually pretty fast. There is a command box module so, yeah. that somebody wrote that wraps CFLint. So you have a nice command box command wrapper. But I thought that the CFLint uh, integration in VS Code was just a straight up call to a jar, which is pretty fast. Well, it's still slow. It's still got the overhead of starting a JVM type thing up because it doesn't have a language server. And so we've looked at re- adding a language server for command box so we can add more command boxy goodness into VS Code and see if Flint would get some benefits from that too. Um, but yeah, so that's one of the things they're working on is ways to impro- improve performance by doing two or three different things and one of them is a language server. And so that's why we oh, haven't no. spotlighted it mm. yet because it's not as cool and you know if you're used to JS Hint or Prettier... Um, you know, it, it's way faster um, to get started. CFLint is a good tool, though. Don't get me wrong, but it is running Java, and so it can have actually, some slowdown. I want some people to time it. How long does CFLint take to start up? Because I actually really thought it was uh, pretty fast, but it's been a while since I played with it. Yeah, I actually disabled it um, for a while because it would just spin if I open up a bunch of files in VS Code. In VS Code, it would. So, just... so here's a question: How much of that was the spool up time, and how much of that was CFLint just being slow to do its work if it scanned well, a lot of files? That's that's the thing. I'm not sure. And the one thing I do like about using the command box version is you can do an entire repo pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things. So I would. I'd personally disable it a lot of the time. I just turn it on when I'm, um, you know, if I want to go through and do some checks, it's up to you. I mean, it's a good tool. It does a good job, um, but performance is something that they're aware of and they're working on. Um, but I mean, it's a good tool. That's just one thing to be aware of. So it's really interesting. I'm kind of try it really quick. Yeah. So, I mean, and it might have been that I had like, you know, eight VS Code windows open and everything and every one was running <laughs> CFLint on everything. So it's a possibility. <clears throat> but maybe if you write great code, you won't have to worry about it so much too. But that's not a problem <laughs> I run into. So 
Interesting to do some tests and see uh, if it slows down uh, in relation to how much code is in the uh, in the um, you know repo that it's scanning. Yeah. Okay, and then we had another comment from Julien. Sorry if I'm um, pronouncing your name wrong, but um, he's they're asking if there's any VS Code Sublime whatever uh, ways to have snippets for CFML, CF script context sensitive. So if you're in tags, um, you know, use the CF dump tag, but when you're in script, then use the write dump, etc. So I know that a couple of people recommended some script tools um, as far as like snippets and everything. And I'm not sure if they're case sensitive or not, but usually a lot of the time they'll come down to the language. And so I'm not sure if they, if the, the CFML parser stuff actually understands it enough to be able to determine it. So I'm not sure to be honest, if anyone has, you know, a solution for that, please share it in the chat, but, but yeah, so. <laughs> and they said, no problem butchering the name. <laughs> so I guess I'm butchering it really good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's okay. My name was always mispronounced and misspelled. So, Given. Oh, you know, I, when I first <clears> got to America, <laughs> I was pronounced. It was pronounced Kevin, Jevin, Devin, Javin, Jeff. <laughs> Jeff. And I got called Jeff three different times by three different people. I'm like, how do you Jeff? Get well, and there is Jeff the spelling of Jeff. It's like G E O F F. But I know, but how does Gavin special. sound like Jeff? I'm like, I even had the little baby block necklace that I would like. It's right here. <laughs> Threatened to kill. <laughs> yeah, because I was hilarious. so sick of people mispronouncing my name. So right, I'm completely failing to get this uh, CF Flint jar to run right now locally. Okay. Well, copied and pasted it off the readme, and I get a. Unable to access jar file. Let's see what I'm doing wrong there. Brad broke it, but Fail. anyway, it's a good it's a good extension I have. I just disable it um, periodically. You can enable disable for your project or workspace as needed, which is pretty neat. So definitely definitely think it's worth having in your toolbox. Um, and hopefully with that language server stuff, like I said, if we could get that running, hopefully it'll speed things up on on many counts, and then we could use task runners in there and all sorts of goodness and right inside of VS Code and super. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to be able to have CFML stuff, but I mean, again, the CF Lint jar is just pure Java. There's no cold fusion. It doesn't use Lucy or anything. Well, I guess we'll let them figure that out. So, and that that extension was uh, put out by Kamasama K, who does the CFML uh, package too. So. Matthew Brown, Brown, I believe. Is that who it is? I don't know. I think so. Cool, cool. Well, thank These you. crazy people that use crazy usernames. I know. <laughs> well, uh, that leads us to the, the last part of our show, which is our Patreon supporters. So thank you to all our Patreon supporters. Half of you are in the chat room right now, so that's why it's half full. So thank you for mm. that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we really appreciate all the support you give us. And those of you who can help us through Patreon, uh, that money goes straight towards tooling like command box, forge box, etc. And uh, without that, we wouldn't be able to do all the modern things that we'd like to in CFML. So uh, definitely appreciate that. And those funds go straight to that. So they don't pay for Brad to, to do other things. They just pay for him <laughs> to play on command box and uh, make it better every day. So something but, like that. But yeah, also, those of you who are unable to support us via Patreon, obviously, pull requests and documentation updates and those things are all greatly supported too. Open source projects are, you know, a big part of what we do with Audis and, you know, if we all work together, we can make it better. So, but with that being said, I'd like to thank the Patreon supporters. So thank you, Andrew Davis, Brian White, Calvin Seddon, Dali, Dan Card, Daniel Garcia, David Ballinger, Didia Lesnicki, Don Bellamy, Eric Hoffman, Gary Knight, Jan Yannick, Jeremy Adams, John Farrar, Jordan Clark, Joseph Lamery, Laxma Tirahadi, Matthew Clemente, Richard Herbert, Samuel Knowlton, Scott Steinberg, VJ, and Yogesh Mathera. So thank you, everybody. Uh, really appreciate all your help. Um, yeah, it's been a, a quieter week, but still lots of great blog content thanks to ben and pete <laughs> and a few others and james on twitter so rest you step it up yeah <laughs> anyway so if you guys got time check out our live pair programming tomorrow at four uh four pacific um rick chief's uh, got his webinar on thursday so sign up for that too and 
yeah hope you guys have a great week all right i just got this uh cf flint jar running i apparently needed the full pass to the jar um like just to spin up and output the help or output the supported rules is like instant so i I really don't think it's the spool up i have a feeling if it's slow it's probably the actual logic that that parses the files so okay so i I don't think i don't think any like built-in java support would make that particular part any faster but they may need to do some refactoring on the actual code in cf lint to improve how it how it works oh okay cool anyway that's my final thought for the day okay well thanks everybody you guys have a good one you with your forge box packages and me (laughs) with my starbucks have a good one bye guys Show notes for this episode can be found at cfmlnews.modernizeordie.io, where you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast player like Spotify or iTunes. We also have the link to YouTube to find more videos just like this. The music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from Sound.com and Bluetree Audio.